Good morning. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us at our chapel down at our Minnetonka campus and online as well. My name is Dan Thorson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Calvary. We are continuing our series called Asking for a Friend. And every message through this series is based off of a question that you asked. Uh, I'm really thankful that we're doing this series. Uh, I don't know if it's you know, been your experience, but sometimes uh, churches aren't the safest place to ask questions um, or to express doubts. Uh, I've been a part of faith communities in the past where faith is basically equated with certainty. Um, And if that's the case, then if anybody has a question or experiences doubt, well, then it means that they have weak faith or they don't have any faith at all. Uh, I don't think that is true uh, whatsoever. You know, here at Calvary, we say all the time that we want people to belong before they believe, and that's very true. But I also want us to be the kind of church uh, and to be the kind of people where we're secure enough in Jesus, to actually give voice to our questions and be willing to uh, express the doubts that we have. You know, faith, trusting God, is often more real when questions and doubts are present than when they are absent. And the question that we're going to be dealing with today that one of you asked gets at the, at the heart of this. And the question is this, why don't I always feel fulfilled in my faith? Why don't I always feel fulfilled in my faith? Now behind this question, and again I would guess that many of us have asked this in in one way, shape, or form, but behind this question there's probably some disappointment, right? There's uh, the life of faith isn't what it's expected to be. Maybe there's some shame behind this question and probably some anxiety too. Now, why don't I have a faith life like it seems other people have? Why don't I have the same sense of assurance or confidence? Why does prayer seem to be one-sided? Why does it seem I can't be as certain about what God does in my life as some other people do? Why don't I feel like God's presence is as tangible or real as other people claim it is for them? Why isn't this whole Jesus thing as real or as meaningful to me as I'm told it's supposed to be? These questions, questions like these, I think are often the hardest ones to ask because, as I said before, If we're experiencing doubt or apathy in our faith, we can immediately assume that there's something wrong with us. And we can feel ashamed, inadequate, and insecure. So this morning, we're going to explore some of the reasons for this experience and, uh, you know, the experience that's behind this question. But at least in part, some of the reason for this is because of just how we talk about faith, how we talk about discipleship, how we talk about life with God. We idealize it far too often. We 
oversimplify a life of faith and, and we are black and white in terms of this is how it should look and this is how it should feel. Because we're drawn to simple formulas, aren't we? Do A plus B and you will get C. We like that, it's concrete, it's clear. We want it to work. We like black and white thinking. We are drawn to simple guarantees about how, how all of this should look, how it should work, how you know, faith should be actualized in our lives. And it shows up in all sorts of ways. I mean, we, we tend to focus more on Moses standing up to Pharaoh with confidence than we do on him failing to trust God in the wilderness. We highlight God trusting, or highlight David trusting God, uh, facing innumerable odds when he uh, defeats Goliath, but we often overlook uh, how he doubts and questions God in the book of Psalms. We lift up the Apostle Paul in the New Testament as the ultimate example of Christian leadership and discipleship, but we sometimes overlook his own words about temptation and struggle and weakness. The testimonies that we like to tell, the messages that we hear, sometimes even the songs that we sing can give us misplaced expectations about how all of this is supposed to look and feel. And so it doesn't leave a lot of room for doubt or questions or complex experiences when it comes to life with God. When we idealize how the life of faith should be, it can make us feel very insecure and even ashamed when our faith isn't as fulfilling as we think it should be. And I would guess that if I sat down with everybody in this room, most of us have felt that way at some point in time, if not recently. And most of us have asked this question, why isn't my faith always fulfilling? And so this morning, uh, I just want us to take a, a frank look at this question and this uh, very common experience that many of us have, which again is accompanied by a lot of disappointment and anxiety. Um, and as we, uh, I'm going to offer up three different reasons for why this might be the case, uh, why we might not experience the kind of faith life we think uh, is as fulfilling as it ought to be. And then as we do, we're going to learn through scripture uh, just a few paths for, to, to how to move forward, because it's a good thing to want a fulfilling faith life. <laughs> Uh, it's a good thing to want that, and so uh, we'll see what God has to say to us this morning. Now, the first reason that I want to explore why your faith, my faith, might not be as fulfilling as we want it to be is simply because reality is imperfect. Reality is imperfect. Now, without a doubt, there is this aspirational trajectory to the good news of Jesus. And by that, I, I mean, because of what God has done in Christ, it's supposed to make a difference in our lives. We don't need to settle for the status quo. We can actually experience freedom from sin. We can have a real, tangible, meaningful relationship with God. Resurrection life in Jesus isn't only something reserved for the new creation, for the life to come. It's something that is present by the power of the Holy Spirit here and now. And the last thing that I want to do is to put a cap on what is possible. 
Because too often we have stunted imaginations about what a life with God can actually be like. We have a short-sighted understanding of what God is capable of doing. Now that being said, it is central to the biblical story that life is not the way that it's supposed to be. And the Bible talks about this in all sorts of ways. It talks about sin and brokenness and darkness and evil spiritual forces. But ultimately, we need to have in our own way of thinking about the world and thinking about life is that things aren't ideal as they are. And that includes the life of faith. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one we venerate and lift up as the ultimate example of Christian discipleship, says that everything he knows is partial and incomplete. It is normal. It is biblical to have partial and incomplete knowledge and to even have a puzzling experience of faith. You know, as I continue to to read through the scriptures, I see this experience time and time again that the early followers of Jesus didn't have it all together. They struggled to understand what this was all about and how it was all supposed to work. They wrestled with hopelessness. They experienced fear and grief, confusion and distress. It's okay for us too. I mean, how how many times have you heard or maybe have you even thought, man, if I could just see Jesus in the flesh, all my doubts would go away. All my questions, all my misgivings. Well, look at what Matthew says at the end of his gospel. This is after Jesus is resurrected and he shows up to his disciples. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, as I said before, I'm reluctant to downplay what God can do in our lives in the here and now. And yet at the same time, I think our church culture, big C church culture in general, we've placed too large of a guarantee on what redemption should look like this side of the new creation. Sometimes it's borderline prosperity gospel because we say if you follow Jesus and you do this and you do that, yeah, maybe we're not saying you're going to get rich, but we're going to say everything's going to go well with you. Your relationships are going to be everything that they possibly can be. Your marriage is going to be everything possibly can be. We basically say that if you follow the formula, 
your circumstances will be what you want them to be. We have to be very wary about that form of thinking because central to the gospel is Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. There's no promise that everything's gonna go well with us. There's a promise that we're gonna have suffering. And it is normal to wrestle and struggle with our experience of faith. But it's quite clear in scripture that the emphasis on hope and restoration and renewal is on the future when Jesus comes again and makes all things new. Romans 8 says this, and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. If you are groaning because your life isn't the way you think it's supposed to be, if you are experiencing distress because faith as you thought it was supposed to work doesn't seem to be working for you, You have good company. This is a normal, can be a normal part of the Christian experience. And I hope that you find comfort in that. We have to hold this tension between having high expectations for what God can do in the here and now. And again, I I don't want to limit that. God's resurrection life can show up but we need to put our ultimate hope, we need to put the weight of our expectation on God making everything right in the new creation, in the future. And in the meantime, as we hold that tension, as we wrestle, as we doubt, as we question, we wait with hope like Paul. We learn that it's not about me having it all figured out. It's not about me having complete knowledge. It's not about me having certainty. It's about me trusting that even though I don't fully know, I'm serving a God that fully knows me. That's where our faith is placed. That's where our, tr- where our trust is ultimately based on. One reason why our faith life may not be as fulfilling as we want it to be is simply because reality is imperfect. Reality is imperfect. A second reason uh, may be that we are living in a contradictory way. James chapter 2 says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? 
And then James continues this line of reasoning in chapter 3. He says, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Living in a contradictory way means that we are claiming to believe or value something, but we don't actually live it out in our daily lives. We're contradicting it in our actions. And when this happens, it creates a sense of confusion in our lives, of disconnection. We have cognitive dissonance about what we want to believe, but what we're actually doing. When our actions, our values, our beliefs don't line up with one another, we can very easily experience a faith life that is not very fulfilling. Does this make sense? The more we align our values with our actions, the more our faith life influences our day-to-day lives, the more meaningful and fulfilling our faith life is going to be. But the more that our actions and our lives are out of step with our beliefs and values, the more that our choices stand in contradiction to our faith, the less meaningful and fulfilling a relationship with God will be. And so we need to ask ourselves as we're asking this question of, hey, am I living in a contradictory way? Do you say one thing and do another? Do you tell some friends you are a Christian but keep it from others because you know that maybe they won't approve? Do you say you follow Jesus but it doesn't actually show up in a practical day-to-day life outside of maybe showing up for church? Do you say that God is the foundation for your marriage or for your friendships but you contradict that by the way that you actually treat them or relate to them? James says this in chapter 1. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, this is very true in my own life. When I turn a blind eye to sin, when I just accept selfishness or pride or jealousy as just a normal aspect of life, my spiritual life falls apart. When I'm not living in cohesion with God, when I'm not walking with him, I experience distance from him. Living in a contradictory way to my faith causes confusion and cognitive dissonance to become my normative experience. My faith, as a result, ends up not feeling very fulfilling. But it's all because I'm just justifying sinful behavior. I'm living in ways that I know God doesn't want me to live. I'm relating in ways I know God doesn't want me to relate. Is that you? Have you forgotten what you look like? At one point in time, did you have a kind of relationship with God that was more fulfilling, that was more meaningful and tangible? But now it's messy and convoluted and difficult. It's worth asking, is there a way that you're living 
in a contradictory way. Now, I, I want to point out there's a difference between struggling with sin and living in sin. Living in sin is when we just turn a blind eye to it. When we don't take it seriously, when we just accept or embrace a way of life that we know that God doesn't want for us. We fall into a contradiction as Christians every time we sin. But living in sin, living in a contradictory way is a whole other ballgame. It's accepting as normal something that isn't godly. It's justifying attitudes or behaviors that we know don't line up with who God wants us to be, but we just end up embracing it anyway. And this will always lead to a feeling of disconnect in our life of faith. It will always lead to an unfulfilled life of faith. So what do we do with that? If, if this is contributing to this experience and leading us to ask this question about, hey, why is my faith not as fulfilling as I want it to be, as I think it should be? What do we do about that? Do we just try harder? Do we say, I'm going to just become more moral and I'm just going to overcome that sin and that temptation? Um, what do we do? Well, James gives us a solution. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This is good old-fashioned confession and repentance. Maybe something that we're not very used to. The call is to be brutally honest with ourselves and with God, to be vulnerable, probably to let somebody else in on our lives. It's a call to take our sin more seriously by acknowledging the compromises that we make and the contradictions that we are living in. It's a commitment to stop living in a divided way and to wholeheartedly pursue Jesus and the life that he has for us. It's not a call to try harder, it's a call to surrender, which actually can be harder. It's a call to be vulnerable, a call to let go. So we humble ourselves And then the Lord graciously lifts us up. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. As we allow God to be at work in our lives and enable us to align our actions with our values and beliefs, as we stop living in a contradictory way, we're going to experience greater clarity, more purpose, more meaning, And hopefully, ultimately, a more fulfilling faith life. All right, the last reason I want to offer up as as to why we might not be experiencing a fulfilling faith life is this. We have unasked questions or unresolved doubts. Now, I want you all to know 
that even as a pastor, I have questions. I have doubts. I wrestle with the complexity of life and how sometimes it doesn't seem like life or faith or prayer or whatever works the way that I think that it should be. I struggle with that. But I've also found time and time again that there are good, substantial, and rational answers to my questions and doubts. Not to the point of certainty, but enough for me to continue this life of faith, trusting that even in my partial and incomplete understanding, I'm serving a God that fully comprehends, understands, and embraces me. But the thing is, my doubts and questions aren't resolved unless I give voice to them. Unless I engage with God and engage with other people through them. I don't find comfort or confidence unless I actually go through the process of wrestling with God. It might be true for you that your faith isn't feeling very meaningful or fulfilling because you're stuffing all of your doubts and questions. You have them and you're just not acknowledging them. And maybe it's because you think that if you have doubt, you have no faith. Or that if you have a question, it's associated with all this shame and disappointment and discouragement and anxiety. I want to give you full permission to go through the process of wrestling with God. And I hope that you find that you can do that here at Calvary. A great place for that is to join a small group. Another phenomenal place is to sign up for Alpha. Um, This is a program, we just started it last Wednesday, but it's not too late, you can sign up and join this coming Wednesday night. It is a, a program designed to give us space to ask questions and work through things with other people and with God. I highly encourage it. Sign up today and come, come on Wednesday. But again, my hope for our church is that we would be a place where people know that they can ask questions, express doubts, and go through the process of wrestling with God. And that requires all of us to honor people that have questions and to make space in our interactions with others to have those doubts and to go through whatever process they want to do. And if we're honest, we're probably all not very, we're not very good about that because sometimes people's questions and doubts make us really uncomfortable because we haven't worked through it all very much. We have to honor people's questions to not belittle other people, not give just pat, oversimplified answers to really complex, deep, personal questions. That's hard. I think Ephesians 4 gives us a good roadmap for this. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Church, we have to stop being so offended by ideas. 
we should feel secure enough in the fact that our faith isn't on my understanding, my complete knowledge, but trusting that God holds me. That should give me the security and it should give you the security to allow other people to go through their process of wrestling with God. We should be humble enough not to act like we know it all. We should be curious enough to listen more than we speak. And we should be vulnerable enough to share our own doubts and our own questions with others. Now, frankly, as Christians, I think this should be true regardless of whether we're talking about cultural or political issues as well as matters of faith. Our trust in God should enable us to be the least offendable people out there and the most humble and the most curious. So let's become the kind of place truly where people can belong here at Calvary before they believe. And even where even as other followers of Jesus, there's no question that's off limits. That there's no opinion that will prevent us from loving the person and allowing them to wrestle. No matter how long that takes. And we walk together and work it out. Why is my faith not always fulfilling? Well, maybe it's just because reality is imperfect. Our faith, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Maybe it's because you're living in a contradictory way. You're blindly or maybe even purposely accepting a way of life that you know God doesn't want for you. And maybe it's because you have unasked questions and unresolved doubts. And more likely it's a combination. Let's make a commitment as a church, as individuals, to be the kind of people and to be the kind of place where we can all go through the genuine, authentic process of wrestling with God in things that matter. So that we can actually move forward. So that hopefully our lives can be enriched, our faith can be strengthened, and our relationship with God ultimately can become more meaningful and more fulfilling. That's my hope. uh, And that's my prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that our faith isn't dependent upon us. It's not dependent on us having our act together, living perfectly, having complete understanding, having certainty. It's not about us having a certain kind of spiritual experience. Our trust is on what you have done for us. That you have paid the price we couldn't pay. You have died for us. God, we ask that you by your grace, work in our lives to help us trust you more. And that in that trust that we can boldly and confidently and comfortably express our questions and our doubts and allow other people to do the same. 
So God, meet us wherever we're at with whatever we're wrestling with, struggling with, doubting. Lead us to you. And lead us into a growing relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.